study, there are more women in entry-level retail jobs than in any other industry. However, as their careers in retail continue, only 30% of these women make it to senior-level leadership positions. And, of those, only 13% make it to the C-suite, fewer than in any other industry. This is the Women's Retail Collective Podcast, produced in partnership between Third House and the Network for Executive Women, where we pull together retail's most influential women to talk about their careers, how they made it to senior leadership and C-suite positions, and how they lead their organizations through the rapidly evolving retail industry. Today we are kicking off this podcast with Karen Stuckey, and Karen is the SVP of Private Brands at Walmart. Karen, thank you for joining us, and welcome to the show. It's my pleasure. So I I can list off your your long bio, biography and tell everybody, but I'd, I'd much rather hear it from you if you don't mind. So. Will you start at the beginning and tell us where you're from and where you grew up? Sure. It's been a long and winding road, so I'll make it somewhat shorter. But uh, I grew up, I'm a Chicago native. Okay. And um, stayed in the Great Lakes area through college and then ended up back in in Chicago. But um, have been really in the industry of retail um, or the industry of consumer goods throughout my career path. But it started very, very traditionally in stores operations, the way almost any retail career would start. But instead of being in a department store, I actually started in specialty, which at the time was a limited corporation. Okay. Today it's, you know, evolved so, but at the time, all there was was the limited. (laughs) They hadn't made any of the acquisitions. (laughs) So I came out of of college and was able to secure a co-manager role in Water Tower Place. Oh, wow. In Chicago. So that was a job far beyond my capability. I was too young and too naive to know how far beyond, but you (laughs) acclimate fast in retail. I liked people. I liked to um, merchandise product and it was a really good fit. It really taught me a lot about how to lead and manage others. The interesting thing there was most of the associates, unlike if you were to go to a mall, is usually high school kids. Right. Most of the associates there, because it was in downtown and, you know, on the, you know, Michigan Avenue Strip, were flight attendants that had long, lengthy, huh. you know, passes, or women that had, you know, very secure incomes that wanted to do something fun to right. kill time. So here I was, this new graduate, <laughs> trying to lead, guide, and direct people that were senior to me and had a whole more lot, lot life under their, lot of life under their belt, but it was a great indoctrination. So fast forward, I came from a retail family okay, and grew up somehow knowing I'd go into retail, not because my father said I had to, I, it was just my entire family had been in some form of retail and I just was comfortable with that industry, Yeah, but I liked the fashion side of it. So I started very traditionally in a traditional women's department store, literally the budget department, your office was in the basement. So, I mean, it, it sounds crazy. You started in the basement, but figuratively and literally, I started in the basement okay. and then worked my way up from an assistant buyer to an associate buyer to a buyer. And then you got to come upstairs and see the light. and Unbelievable. And, and ended up um, really loving retail. We had a new CEO come on board who 
immediately said there's this newfangled thing called a planning division. And anyone that was a buyer for less than two years is now a planner. We were horrified. We'd worked so hard to get out of the basement, (laughs) et cetera, et cetera. And I was introduced to the world of planning and forecasting and replenishment and what today would be called merchandise operations. Okay. But didn't know the difference at the time. But that very role is what made me attractive to a company, a fledgling company at the time called Target. Okay. They were not the big behemoth they were. They were sort of a little sister company to Dayton's and other. And I ended up taking a leap of faith and moving to Minneapolis, knowing absolutely no one. I did the Mary Tyler Moore thing (laughs) and joined Target because they seemed so progressive and they were well down the path of what we now call merchandise operations. And when was this, Karen? This was in 1981. Okay. So that brought me into the the wonderful nurturing cocoon that Target is. There's such an investment in young people at the beginning of their career. And I learned every discipline from replenishment to planning to merchandise, back to a directorship to regional businesses and had just a, a fabulous foundational grounding of what a good multifaceted retail career would look like. So starting in the limited, move to Minneapolis, yes. go to Target, then what happens? Then, then I realized that Target's a young company with young leadership. And when you're young and ambitious, you realize if you want to move up, everyone around you is about your age and about as good. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah. So at that point, somewhere along the way there, I'd met my husband, long different story, different podcast. <laughs> um, and we collectively decided that, that I would accept a, a role back in Chicago, which was my hometown. Right. My husband's a southerner, so he just thought it was moving Somewhere south, I didn't share <laughs> in between <laughs> the, the incredibly important detail about that. But we moved, made the move back to Chicago, and I joined Montgomery Ward. They are no longer in business. At the time, they were moving all of their buying offices from New York to Chicago. And I looked at that as a huge opportunity to enter in the buying ranks, but quickly be able to progress to a national division merchandise manager, which in fact panned out within a year. So wow. that. That strategy worked. I was able to achieve those goals, and I was able to then take on a much broader leadership role in women's apparel. Um, Montgomery Ward was a very challenging company, coming particularly out of um, Target. They were just very different um, cultures of an organization, but some of the best learning, some of the best get tough fast and different because you know, it, target was young and Montgomery Ward Montgomery and... Ward was much more structured, okay. much significantly more male dominated. Okay. Um, with all the traditional male dominated, right. You know, challenges of the, you know, you're at this point in time, you're talking about, you know, the late eighties. Right. <laughs> um, and we were still wearing the little floppy bows and the, you know, men's suits look, which, yes. you know, so, um, that, that was a, in, in the rear view mirror, a really good challenge for me. I had to learn to be a leader amongst what were my peers the mm-hmm. week before. So literally didn't elevate in a new area, elevated and became the leader of the people that were my colleagues right. prior. So when that's your first leadership role, you learn a lot. You make a lot of mistakes and you learn from those. Right. How to be too, when to be friends, when not to be friends, when to be the leader, how to, how to yeah. get feedback, all incredibly important things. We were there three years, had our first child. At that point in time, my husband had figured out Chicago's every bit as cold as Minneapolis. 
And we made the pact as the, you know, in our marriage that, all right, I will look to somewhere, what we called the green crayon. He was going back to um, consider graduate school and he was going to go into education and we had a small child and a green crayon was the writing utensil of choice. Mm -hmm. So it was a fairly broad blank map of anywhere from the eastern seaboard all the way to Oklahoma, Texas, Florida. He said, I'll live anywhere in the green crayon. Right. I was like, okay, that's pretty broad Do you have that green crayon still? We still, I don't have the crayon, but we still live in the green crayon. Okay. Many careers later, we have never, and it's it's subconscious. It's not like I say you're out of the green crayon, but we've made a wonderful life of living a place that, that works for us too. Well, I think that's an important thing to call out too, as you, as you identify as a woman, you know, executive and making these decisions. And it feels like there are different approaches to how you make the decision that's right for your family and for your career ultimately. And, and you kind of, it's, it involves a conversation and, and, it does. and ongoing communication so that you can make sure that, you know, those decisions aren't just affecting you. It's, it's your whole family living in the green crayon area. We live in the green crayon. <laughs> so we moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay. And that was, so, so I'd been yuppie discount, you know, target. I'd been with big box traditional retailer, uh, Montgomery Ward. I moved to a small strip specialty store that was sort of fed off of like Walmart type traffic. Okay. And it was called Cato. Okay. And that was a blast. You know, they were challenged for growth, but it was a fast, you know, quick, the, the customer base was very fashion focused, um, at a price. I learned a tremendous amount there and grew in my leadership walk to take on a lot of divisions and ended up running a lot of different groups and was there for seven years and really helped be part of the team that, that took the company to a growth trajectory that was stable um, and had a lot of fun uh, doing that. Filled out, had three more children while we were there. Wow. So now we're a family of four. Um, my husband was a full-time teacher and a wrestling coach and life was really starting to feel like it had stabilized into a really workable model. At that point, I became very comfortable in my scope and got kind of the itch of like, there's more there. Yeah, I haven't stopped learning. And I knew from retail that if I didn't understand the supply chain side of the business better, I'd done some sourcing overseas, but if I didn't understand the P&L from the supply chain side, I would never really understand the entire picture. Was there an, something that happened in particular that did that or was well, it over the course That was of years? starting to become a recognition for me or a realization for me. And then there was the initial outreach that ended up coming from a company called Sarah Lee Corporation. They are now broken apart into many different divisions, the the apparel side being Hanes. Okay. Hanes, but at the time it was Sarah Lee. And I just understood that, wow, if you're going to, to think about shifting to the supplier side of the world after all, you know, what at this point have been 18-ish type years in the retail yeah. element, if I was going to do that, well, this is an apparel company that acts a, acts a lot like a CPG company. Mm-hmm. Um, you will still be in the Carolinas. We still would have had to move, but you're still in the green crayon. <laughs> and I will learn a tremendous amount about traditional CPG disciplines, customer insights, branded marketing, all the things that as a 
an entrepreneurial retailer, you kind of do without really any training. Right. <laughs> so I took the leap, which was probably the first major milestone that friends, even some family said, whoa, what are you doing? Yeah. Like many people thought I was making a giant mistake. And my husband did not. My husband has always been, if it feels good, we're behind you. We'll figure it out. And something in me said, all right, I've invested 18 years in retail. So if I take this leap and it doesn't work out, I have 18 years of retail. Mm -hmm. Someone is going to say, I think someone with 18 years of retail experience can do something right. that, that can contribute to our right. company. So we were young enough. People would say with four kids, really? You know, and I just, we jumped and it was fantastic. I learned a tremendous amount about the consumer side of business. Uh, joined as a vice president merchandising, was there seven years, took on several president roles, expanded responsibility. And at, at the point of when I left Sara Lee, I was the president of all of their casual division. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, that what you would know to be, you know, Hanes Fleece, C9 that's now in Target, right. those types of things. So I got to do a lot of product development. I led product development, led finance. I was the president, so I led every discipline, which grows you exponentially. Yeah. Then comes the itch of the pace of retail <laughs> is so much faster and, and, the, and the possibilities are infinite. Mm -hmm. When you are a manufacturer, you have to learn to produce within what you can make. Mm -hmm. based on your capital structure, based on your equipment, based on where your manufacturing is located. Right. In retail, you can go anywhere in the world, find somebody to make anything you want, and basically the options are endless. Yeah. And I started to get the, again, felt too comfortable. There's a theme that comes in, get too comfortable. That's right. Got to have something more this. challenging. Yes. And to the point my husband used to joke and say, like, if you're feeling, like, restless, just wait a week or so. <laughs> <laughs> You don't have to act on it that minute, you know, but he's always been a huge supporter of like, if you want to do it, let's go. And he's an army brat and he's used to picking up and going. Yeah. And, you know. It sounds like you've yeah. got the intuition right. too, to kind so, of tell you when it's time it's, and it, keep it, you curious. Yeah, when you are. So at Sara Lee, we were one of Walmart's largest apparel suppliers, mm -hmm. if you will. The retail in me caused me to have the urge that you always visit your customer. You speak to retailers as a retailer. You, so I always had a good relationship with retail customers at this point because I felt more like a retailer. I had been a retailer longer than I had been a supplier. Right. So I, I had a blurred, I, I assumed a blurred role mm -hmm. with them. They reached out and said, would you ever consider coming back to retail? We have an opening we think would be a great fit for you. And after some consideration, privately, I was itching to go back to retail, <laughs> but I wanted to do it on a bigger, broader stage than what I had done. And at this point, you know, I'd been in a few different tiers, if you will, of retail and um, decided to join Walmart. So that was fantastic. Um, and I've been there now 15 years in many different roles of, you know, broadened responsibility, both on the merchandising side, on kind of the merch support side. Um, and now with private brand, that's a very large portion of the business that touches every single discipline in general merchandise from everything from the art side of creative design, product development, all the way to the science side of sourcing, analytics, technical design, packaging, it, and everything in between. It sounds like a role that was perfectly created for you. Absolutely. My favorite role in life. And I mean, 
talk a little bit about how diversifying your background. I mean, part of it is that you were curious, but I mean, it sounds like you really made sure that your experience, um, gave you the, the opportunity to, to kind of take anything on You were building your resume quite a bit. And I built my, I would agree. I wish I could tell you that it, that that was planful that I had set out and said, I'm going to build a portfolio of skills that are going to make me marketable and more capable. That would be not truthful (laughs) at this point (laughs) to say that because I didn't have a sense of this, you know, I'm going to put my career together in this way and I'm going to drive my own career the way I want it to be. Instead, I feel like I listened to my gut of when I felt like I needed a new challenge. Okay. And I learned to not be afraid of what's around the corner. Yeah. To almost lean into what's around the corner and be open to that. And and there are many times that I did not take that path. And there are a few times that I would say, if there's a regret that I should have, you know, there's times along the way you you lose confidence or you're afraid you won't be ready or you're afraid you won't be good enough. And quite frankly, the more secure you get in a role, the more stable, the more leadership accountability you have in a role actually can make you more risk averse Hmm. because suddenly things get really good and your family, you don't want to move and you like where you live and you lose a little bit of that. Let's just dive, you know? Yeah. And that's something I think is really important to harness and, and try to keep that fresh because you become fearful of the next great thing. And there are a couple of times along my way in my career, I thought, if I'd taken that leap, what that would have brought, but not to the point of regret, just sort of a, Hmm, wonder what would have happened there. Let's talk about private brands and what that means now in the retail industry as, as more retailers are going down this path. How are you staying curious now or what's kind of giving you that itch now? The unbelievable, wonderful thing about being an associate of Walmart is the possibilities are so endless. It is a global organization that within Walmart, you could be anything you choose to be. If you are willing to work hard, network, and show that you can add value, it's a company that will you can fulfill almost any career you would like to fulfill mm. without ever having to leave the ecosystem of the organization. You could be a pilot, you could be a chemist, you can be a nurse, you can be, you can do cybersecurity, you can be in logistics and supply chain, you can be in health and wellness, you could, you know, it's just endless. So within private brands, what keeps me curious is it's, I've, I've found over time, I am a very evenly split art and science persona. Okay. So explain that a little bit. There are elements of, of product. If you can offer product to a customer you have to be relevant in style. So you have to constantly be a student of the customer and a student of how their world is evolving and their tastes are changing or their needs are changing or the way they live is changing. And if you can't be somewhat of an anthropologist that way and stay close to what the customer is and be better at anticipating and then reacting with speed, you can't really be relevant to them. And a private brand cannot just be an interpretation of something else at a cheaper price. That's just called a knockoff. That's called a label. That is not a brand. A brand is something that you build trust in. And because you trust it for its delivery, you are then loyal to it. Hmm. And all of us have a go-to brand. 
whether it's clothing, whether it's who cuts your hair, whether it's what school you attend, it's, there's a loyalty because trust has been built and trust has been built because it gave you consistent value. So this is an area that you can never be stale. There's always something new to research. And now you add the entire digital and, you know, tech piece to that. It's endless. So, and the, the global trade um, impact causes you to be in different places all over the world looking for where you're going to procure your goods. So you have to be globally minded. You have to know what's going on around the world. You have to know what's happening in new technologies and all these different supply chains and industries. You have to be on top of what, what the customer is doing and the way they shop. Is it social media? So you have to interface with marketing. It's a very cross-functional area, multi-dimensional area that sometimes you're working with designers and artists and packaging artists and copywriters yeah. that are very art in focus, product development. Right. And other times you're working with sourcing engineers and technical quality assurance engineers and, and packaging uh, project management engineers and cost of goods that are very science. Right. And the two, you are the one as a leader that has to keep shifting gears. You know, one person will be in a cube hoping you won't even look at them when you talk. Another... <laughs> you know, wants you to love the glitter butterfly. Right. You know, and so you shift gears, which keeps you really fresh as a leader because you are so situationally challenged every day to inspire, motivate, and stay close to a, a very broad, very large team. And how, how are you motivating your team to do that? What are, are there like foundational elements of product design that you're thinking of? I, I love what you said earlier about, you know, creating this loyalty to a brand. How do you inspire them and how do you kind of keep them on the cusp of what's next? I'd say as a leader, it's, I'd answer it differently as a leader than when you're coming through the ranks. Um, and it's Jack Welch. It's one of my favorite quotes is that until you're a leader, it's all about developing yourself. And once you're a leader, it's all about developing others. So the first step and the most critical step in inspiring a team, motivating a team is they have to know that your focus is on developing them, not all about yourself. And once they understand that, then as you develop your strategies and not just the what, but much more importantly, the how, Mm -hmm. they can be inspired and trust that you've got their back and you're there to help them be successful. Then it's clarity of purpose and mission made very easy within Walmart. Um, The mission of saving people money so they can live better is evergreen. And if you're culturally aligned to that, so easy to continue to reinforce. But how you map that back to what does that mean in the work they do? Mm. And how does what they do um, deliver against that mission and, and be purposeful? So when you have work that feels like it's filled with purpose and builds trust and loyalty with a customer that needs us most, if you can instill a love of our customer and an understanding of how their work matches purpose Mm -hmm. that feels meaningful and sustainable throughout the years, that's not a really difficult formula. Now, is it easy to lead a huge team? And are there all kinds of dynamics of different generations and different personas? I just talked about the art and science. You also have as many as four different generations um, working in this field on a constantly fast-paced, evolving. Retail is a stressful industry with a lot of outside influences like weather that sometimes right. don't 
work with the plan. Mm -hmm. um, it can be very high stress. It's very high pace. And how do you build as a leader, a sense of we've got this. Yeah. There's a calm to this. This is just a bump in the road. This is a contingency we've worked on is really, really important. I absolutely love the multidimensionality of it. We, we talked at the beginning about the statistic saying that, you know, of entry level jobs, women make up a, a huge amount, two thirds of, of entry level jobs in retail are women. Um, but you know, now only 13% reach a C level or senior leadership. If you were going and giving advice to somebody, man or woman, considering a career in retail right now, Karen, given all of your experience, how you're leading teams at Walmart, what would that advice be? My advice would be don't buy into the balance myth. Hmm. I love this. Talk more. <laughs> retail will take every ounce you have and then some. Many industries will, but retail, anything that's close to the customer, it, it'll it'll take everything you have to give and more. And that doesn't mean don't commit. Right. But I spent years chasing balance hmm. when what I really discovered I needed to establish was fulfillment. Fulfillment is a very, very different formula than balance. Right. Because your balance is not my recipe. Yeah. My recipe for balance is not yours or 10 other people you'd line up. But fulfillment requires you to really say, what are my priorities in my life to feel fulfilled? And to almost create a, a map. It doesn't have to be formal. Right. It can just be in your mind of like, where do you set your boundaries? What do I really need? You know, is work separate from life? Now for me, work is life and life is work. Yes. And to invest your life thinking I'm going to, I'm going to work so I can live suggests that what you do most of the time is not important to who you are. Mm -hmm. you know, I think they blend. And having a clear sense of your priorities, which for me are, it's very clear. It's, it's personal, it's philanthropic, and it's professional. Now, as a senior executive at Walmart to say professional is third could be taken out of context. And your time investment isn't always proxy for what your priorities are. Yeah. I spent a lot more time at sports practices than I did sitting in a church pew but that didn't mean one was less important. Right. You know? So, you know, faith is important. Family is important. My spouse first, that's my life partner, then my children. I love my children. Yeah. Not more than my spouse. Right. <laughs> and, and I love, and a very important part of what fulfills me is my involvement in nonprofit and community. And if you set those priorities in your life, you find a way to make it all work. But you can't have it. You can have it all. You absolutely can have it all. You can't have it all at the same time. Right. Important. And people therapy. call it chapters. People call it, you have to, there's different phases of your life that you can ebb and flow. Certain things can be more important, less important. And how you figure that out is doing the fulfillment check. Can I say I am deeply fulfilled? I like my work. I love my family. I have a challenging career that I'm growing in and I have a happy life. And if any of that gets out of whack, 
consciously or subconsciously, it's time for a priority check Mm -hmm. and really go through, am I investing my heart in the things that are most important to me? There are always going to be the weeks, not just a couple days, where you feel like you have slept two hours a day and worked or traveled until you're running ragged. But those are moments in an arc of a career, as long as you still have that true north of where you're going. I think think it's incredibly important for people to, this this concept that I'm going to have a career and it's going to perfectly work in perfect balance according to my timeline and my way, is is really going to cause you to miss a lot of life along the way. I think that's great advice for anyone, not just in the retail industry, Karen. It's very insightful of you. I thank you for sharing that. Um, to close us up, I have one question for you. As you think back on this career that you've shared with us today, if you were going to go back and surprise somebody with a thank you note for some kind of impact that they had on your career over these last few years... Who would that thank you note go to, and what would you say to them? Can I give you two? Sure, of course. We we make our own rules here. The first one would be my husband. Oh. Um, it is amazing to have a champion that literally thinks you are capable of doing anything, not in the country, the world, the planet, in the universe, that truly will say, if you want to do it, I am there. And if you want to do it, I will support. I will do whatever it takes. We're going to be stubborn about it. We're still going to have four kids and we're going to have dual lives. All the things. I will, you know, I will make it happen so that you don't have to think and worry about that. He removed so many things that could have been barriers that I didn't even know he was removing at the time. And then seamlessly duck on water was like, it's fine. It's good. We can do that. In retrospect, he made so much happen, and I would never be able to thank him enough, even though we've been married 32 years. So that's that's the personal champion. Yes. I would say within my career, when I was at Sara Lee, there was a CEO named Carrie McMillan, and he singled me out and said, this woman, this young emerging leader has potential. And he put me on a lot of special projects, emerging projects that at the time, this was maybe late 90s. It, it, we're just the concept of incubators within a company were really new. And I got to travel around the world with him, work on projects with funding and protected funding that would have gotten killed. You know, it would, the antibody would have killed the organism sure. longer, you know, but that, you know, so, or however that saying goes, yes. but it, 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 it allowed me to see in myself the ability to, to, to white space thinking to build from nothing that has really helped me now in private behind this, how do you look at a white space and completely from a blank sheet of paper, build a business. And I don't, I think he gave me that confidence that propelled me into taking on bigger and bigger roles, working in ambiguity um, in ways that I'm not sure I would have had somebody not said, I believe in you, even though you haven't shown me anything yet. (laughs) So I would thank him today. I would send him a note today and thank him for having faith in my potential. 
Perrin, I've been so inspired by our conversation and your honesty and openness. And sh thank you for sharing, sharing your story with us. And um, for the audience, we have Karen Stuffy, SVP of Private Brands for Walmart. Karen, thank you so much for being thank with you. us today. It was a pleasure. It's fun. and you could pick three bands that are dead or alive to perform at that concert, who would you pick? Paul and Oates. I'm going to show my age. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm <laughs> Because coming. there are some people that would be like, who's that? I was like, oh, God, I'm way too old. Oh, no. These don't even go together. It'd be Hall and Oates, Stevie Wonder, Al Green. Oh, my gosh, Karen, I love your concert. <laughs> Stevie Wonder is my yeah. number one performer for sure. And I want to see him live before.